I'm going to pray for you. It's okay. Okay. Great. Thanks, Lord, that you've already been speaking to Andy about this message. I'm, I'm believing that that's the case. There's some notes here on his iPad, so I'm trusting that you've, you've given him something to share. Just pray that you would increase that, even if he's, as he speaks, that you would illuminate that like, like you do with these beautiful stained glass windows, that you would light that word up inside of him, and that as it comes to us today, um, it would fill us with the same light, which is your wisdom and, and your Holy Spirit and your beauty. You are good and you are beautiful, and we trust you uh, with this message and for this message. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. You know, I grew up in an Episcopal church, which is the American version of the Anglican church. So being in a building like this, it reminds me of my childhood. So we are continuing in the series you guys have been doing um, through the Good and Beautiful God. I, I read that book a few years ago, loved it. And uh, so we are talking about how God transforms us. And the, the focus is, there's, there's two things we're going to focus on. One is who we are in Christ. We're talking about our identity, which is really an awesome thing to meditate. You know, we... We uh, are so used to the language uh, of the New Testament, but when you really stop to think about what it means to be in Christ, it's unbelievable. Travis, did you know that Jesus is living in you? Stephen, Jesus is living in you. The power of Jesus is living in us. Isn't that amazing? that we are, our identity is partaking with the divine nature of Jesus. And that's one of, that's one of the first thing we're going to talk about. The second thing we're going to talk about is, well then, how do, how do we take practical steps to walk in righteousness? If our real identity is Christ ones, you know, Christian, the word Christian is a way of saying Christ one or a little Christ. I'm not saying that we are divine, but we share in the nature of Jesus. We are offspring spiritually of the Lord. So how do we walk that out? What are the, some of the practical steps we take to uh, living out our identity? And uh, Brian, it's Brian Smith. That's the name of the author. Is that correct? I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah. Um, he, uh, I, I like the fact that he disagrees with a statement of Martin Luther, even though I love what Luther teaches. But Martin Luther used to teach, we are simultaneously righteous and a sinner. Um, now, in one way, that is true, because yes, we do sin. All of us fail. I fail every day. But our primary identity, who we really are, no longer is a sinner. We are saints. We are made holy by the indwelling Christ, by the righteousness of the Lord. We've been transferred from one kingdom into another, uh, out, of the, out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We, we live by the New Testament narrative. Now, when I, when I see the word narrative, which is a popular term these days, um, 
I like it because it's, it's talking about the story, but to be clear, it's the one true story, isn't it? It's more, the, the New Testament is more than a story, it's history. And so we are, we are uh, talking about this is what's real. I, I have been transferred into the kingdom of light. It's not something I can see, but, it's, but the fruit of it I can see in my life. And uh, my, my identity is that I am forgiven so that I can learn to be uh, holy through lifelong repentance and forgiveness. And a huge key here for me is learning to be good at accepting forgiveness. You know, I, I grew up, I'm a firstborn of three kids. I'm, I have some of the characteristics of a typical firstborn. I'm, I tend to be work really hard and to be too hard on myself for not being perfect. So I figured out a long time ago, I just got to give myself grace because God does. Uh, and and um, I just love some of the ways that Brian Smith describes what it's like to abide in Christ. One of the lines we sang that Travis led us in is, you asked me to be your friend. That uh, he is not standing on the outside of us, judging us, oppressing us, telling us to jump a little higher, run a little faster. He's on the inside of us, empowering us. He's asked, he's asked us to be his friend. And the meaning of the term abide is to rest in and rely upon. But I'm jumping ahead of myself. Uh, Romans 6.6, 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. So we are a new creation. We're, we're new people. We're no longer, sin is no longer reigning. Uh, the phrase in Christ or in the Lord occurs 164 times in Paul's epistles. So th- He's talking about this mystical union that we share with Jesus. Uh, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Uh, Colossians 2, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. So there, something fundamentally changes about who we are as spiritual beings. We participate with the nature of Christ. He gives us the butterfly analogy, the butterfly that begins as a worm and it could only crawl, and then it goes into a cocoon, or another word for that is a chrysalis, which interestingly, the the root word for chrysalis, you know, the cocoon that the worm goes into, is Christ. And then it emerges a butterfly completely transformed once weighed down by gravity, the old is past, the new has come, it can fly. Uh, and I love what Smith says, uh, it doesn't make sense to say, I'm just a worm with wings. <laughs> if you were a butterfly, would you describe yourself that way? So, don't, don't have your self-talk be... I'm just a sinner, saying my great. Now, yeah, we all sin, but we live this life by the faith in the Son of God who gave himself for us. Uh, 
We do it by faith. If you believe that you are empowered to overcome sin, it makes a gigantic difference in your day-to-day walk in life. This verse blows my mind. And I often wonder, like, what world Paul was living? Well, obviously, he was living in, in, a, in a world of a lot of revelation of who Jesus had made him to be. So uh, Paul writes to the church in Galatia, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And then that verse goes on to say, and the life I live now in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. And so we're trusting, we're, we're believing that we can overcome the remnants of sin in our life. John Wesley said, Every babe in Christ is holy, and yet not altogether so. He is saved from sin, yet not entirely. It, meaning sin, sin remains, though it does not reign. And so, what are the remnants of sin? Well, they, it's memories, old memories, patterns of behavior, old habits, and old narratives. Uh, stories and ways of seeing the world and ways of seeing ourselves that are not correct and not helpful in following Jesus. We still live in a world that's diametrically opposed to God's truth, and so we're still in a battle. Sin doesn't reign, but we have to be aware that it's crouching and ready to pounce on us at any moment. We, we live in conflict. And here's... Uh, how Jesus tells us to walk as new creatures. Uh, the, the, the word here is remain instead of abide. So the word abide is one of the older, more traditional terms in this John 15 passage. But here it's remain. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in, in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so to abide means to rest in and rely upon. Isn't that awesome? Instead of, I'm going to grit my teeth, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps, I'm going to I'm just sweat and... Uh, you know, I, I love the story that John Wimber used to tell growing up and living in Orange County. Well, the reason it's called Orange County is it used to be just orange groves. In fact, that's really near where Travis grew up. Both, of, both Travis and I are, are transplanted Californians, and now I'm, now I'm a Canadian slash American. So, uh, but anyway... Wimber used to talk about, you know, when he, when he was still surrounded by orange groves, in the middle of the night, he would hear this incredible creaking and groaning because the orange trees were trying to produce fruit. That's a little joke. Of course, the, the orange trees don't make noise. They don't strain the orange tree produces oranges. And so 
That's who they are. That's what God created them to be. And so Jesus is telling us here, if you just rest in me and rely on me, you're going to bear fruit. Because I'm living in you, I'm going to be speaking to you. If you, if you just continue this friendship, you're going to hear my voice. You're, my spirit living in you is going to teach you all things. I'm going to convict you of sin and of righteousness. You're participating in the divine nature. I love this verse in 2 Peter. Though Through these, meaning referring from the previous verse, his glory and his goodness, through his glory and his goodness, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Jesus is not outside us judging us, but inside us empowering us. I love this quote from James Stewart describing what it means to be in Christ. He says, Christ in me means something quite different from the weight of an impossible ideal. Christ in me means Christ bearing me along from within. Jesus' strength in me. Christ giving my whole life a wonderful poise and lift, not as something to bear, but as something by which you are born. Okay, so practical application here. How do we make good choices? Knowing who we are, well, we're always, you know, the, the way this chapter begins is a, a, Smith talks about a guy named Kerry who comes to him, confesses a problem he's been having with lust. And uh, so Smith is explaining to him, okay, the beginning place is knowing who you are. And then how to walk it out is the second part. You have the Holy Spirit living in you, the paraclete, the comforter who will guide you. Uh, I love this quote from uh, a 19th century Russian Orthodox priest, a guy named John Kron Kronstadt, who uh, was, was living in a time and a place where there was incredible alcohol abuse. A lot of people just wasted uh, on alcohol all the time. He used to go around in the street and pick up people drunk and tell them this. This is beneath your dignity. You were meant to house the fullness of God. And so I love that image of, you know, us being all created in the image of Christ and that we were made to bear God's image. We were made to be representatives of him. And it's an awesome way to keep us from sin. If I'm tempted... I tell myself, is this really who I am? Uh, when I'm making the right choice, that's what I say. You know, or is this beneath my dignity? Is this activity going to bear fruit in my life? Is, is it going to be a way I can express the nature of who Jesus is? No, let me just walk in accordance with who I really am and make a good choice here. And so we need to, uh, to walk out this life of transformation. We need to change the way we think. Remember changing those old habits, those old patterns of thinking. It talks about that in Romans 
12, you know, one of the keynote um, passages on worship. The way you're transformed is by what you worship. And I'm not talking just about singing, but what you meditate on, what you think about, what, where your thoughts go when you're by yourself, what you dream about, what you rely upon. What's your inner motivation? Um, there was an article many years ago after Bill Clinton's, you know, uh, falling into an affair in the White House. Somebody wrote an article in which he made the statement, righteousness does not stand a chance against the imagination. Well, that was his viewpoint of it. Is that true? I don't think so. What we're taught in the Bible, and you know, especially applied to something like lust or coveting what somebody else has, my imagination was meant to be baptized by the truth of God. And so it's a matter of what I am allowing to water my soul and, and what seeds am I allowing to be planted in my mind. And so, walking in the discipline of uh, holiness and righteousness is letting my imagination be taken over by the things of God. 2 Corinthians 10, 5, a familiar passage. Uh, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And so uh, Smith is, is extremely, um, makes it extremely easy on people. In his book, Good and Beautiful God, he says, uh, you know, he gets to the part about solitude and spending time alone with God and how extroverted people, you know, this guy Kerry that was talking to him, he could barely stand to be alone at all. I'm not like that. I, I like being alone and have, being refreshed uh, by time with God, time in nature, quiet time, whether that's praying or just sitting. Uh, and so Smith says, take five or ten minutes to be quiet with God. Well, that's a pretty low hurdle. That's a pretty easy task, isn't it? Five or ten minutes is gone before you even realize it. Um, and in those moments, we let the Lord change the way we think. That's part of the transformation process. Dallas Willard, uh, actually who was one of the mentors of this, this uh, author, Brian, uh, whatever the heck his name is, James Brian Smith, Brian James Smith, Dallas Willard mentored this author, and he says, the process of spiritual formation is one of progressively replacing those destructive images and ideas with the images and ideas that filled the mind of Jesus himself. And so we do that in many ways. We do it in a lifetime of abiding in Christ. And, and we don't, it's not an overnight process, is it? Um, you, you mentioned gardening analogies because of your garden here. Well, I like those analogies because um, that's one of my hobbies. One of my few hobbies, actually, is gardening. And I, there are very clear analogies in Scripture 
uh, and uh, in daily life from how you produce good fruit in, in, in related to physical gardening. One of them we just read, abiding in Christ. What is that? That's the branch connected to the vine. We draw our nutrients from Jesus, the vine. That's an agricultural or gardening kind of picture. We live in a rainforest in Vancouver. I grew up in a semi-arid environment, climate in Southern California. And so I helped out with gardening as a kid in, in my parents' backyard. And uh, I do it now, and it, it's very different. There's a lot of similarities, but a lot of differences. It, it, um, here, anything will grow. And uh, if you don't fill a place of dirt with a plant or a bush or grass, weeds will grow. Seeds are born through the air, and uh, it's a vacuum. Dirt here is, is an, an, uh, an invitation for things to grow. And it's the same for us living in this world. You know, we're in the battle. What are we going to feed our minds with? Uh, and, and it's, you know, all you have to do is be out in culture and you're constantly fed lies of the evil one and worldly ideas. You know, greed, pride, lust, you know, valuing things, temporary things instead of eternal things. It's, it's going to come at you like seeds pouring into your garden. But, so you have to tend the garden. Um, I love that picture from Revelation 22, how the trees are planted by the water of life, the river of the water of life. And uh, they, they're constantly bearing fruit. Well, where are you planted? What, what are you soaking up? Every analogy breaks down. You know, if you're a tree, you can't uproot yourself and go plant yourself. But you're not a tree. You're a person. You have the power to choose what you are pouring into your mind and what you're doing with your free time. Like one thing I like to do is read novels as a way of relaxing. And uh, there's a few novelists that are just popular, secular novelists that I read. But, um, you know, I go to the library trying to find good books. There's a lot of books with a lot of crap in there, a lot of things that are not going to help me walk a righteous life. So one of the things I've been doing lately is reading biographies of spiritual people, people that we want to emulate. So right now I have one of Bonhoeffer uh, that I'm reading. And uh, I just read one called Amazing Grace, you know, the story of uh, William Wilberforce, the guy that fought against slavery in Britain, um, parliamentarian. And, and so I have to make the choice, uh, what's going to be helpful for me to read? Um, it's just one example of choosing what you're going to water your garden with. Um, Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. So you have to guard your heart. You have to protect yourself from that mass swarming of weed seeds <laughs> that is around you in the spiritual environment. It, you know, we're like a vacuum. And 
if we're not worshiping Jesus, we're going to worship something else. And uh, so tend your garden. Take time to fill yourself with truth. Now, it is a little bit after 12, and when, so we should be wrapping up real soon, right? Yeah, I'm okay, but we're going to be wrapping up soon. <laughs> Much to the th thankfulness of everybody sitting in this room. <laughs> um, I'll just talk for a couple more minutes about adoration and how the power of adoration is another tool of transformation. And here's a really awesome example, and that is Psalm 63. It's one of the most well-known psalms. I've written many songs from that one psalm, and you hear them all, all the time. Because it's a picture of uh, intimate communion with God. Um, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. You know, it, it, it just seems like, oh, David, he looks like he's just in this awesome, peaceful environment, just in the presence of the Lord. Well, actually, he's surrounded by people that want to kill him. He's in the wilderness. He's in a time of, in his life where his own son has tried to steal the throne from him. He, he's been thrown out. out of, and for a time, it, it's like he's on the run with a few, a, a small band of followers. Uh, and so you progress down later into the psalm. And it says, but those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They'll, they shall be a portion for jackals. And, then, and here's just the one verse I want to look at. But he still sees himself as the king. He still remembers who he is. Even though for the present moment he's banished into the wilderness and he's running for his life. He says, but the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. So, you know, when you're messing up and when your washing machine is broken and your kids are not behaving and your job isn't what you want it to be, remember who you are. Even though you don't feel righteous, Part of the process of walking out the discipline of hearing from God and praying it is remembering who you are. None of us are kings, but we're, we're all in Christ. We're all chosen, beloved, made righteous. Um, you know, if, if one thing crushes faith... It's condemnation, isn't it? If we feel like, oh, how could I possibly be loved by God? You're not going to have faith to, to go forward. So just give yourself a break because God does. <laughs> Receive the forgiveness that God's offering you. Remember who you are and just keep taking the next step. 
And then adoration will be the pathway by which you can handle just about anything because you'll remember who you are, you'll remember who God is, and you'll be able to say, like David said in verse 5 of Psalm 63, your love is better than life. And if you, if you keep watering your garden with that truth over and over and over again, you're going to bear a lot of fruit. Amen. It'll be like that tree planted that bears fruit in every season. All right. Um, I'm going to pray a prayer and then we'll hand it over and move into communion. Lord, we thank you for this amazing truth that Jesus, your spirit, is joined with our spirit. And so we have the fingerprint of God on us. We bear your image. And it's your righteousness that makes us righteous, Lord. You do the transforming as we just rest in you and rely on you. The power is yours, Lord. So we, we want to say today, Lord, forgive us for where we've gone astray. Lead us in your ways, Lord. Lead us in your truth. Make us more like you. Help us to do the patient work of the lifelong resting in you and relying on you making the history of Jesus our own history. Lord, uh, we, we yield to your hand as the, the hand of the great gardener, the one who prunes us, the one who waters us and feeds us. Uh, we thank you that the, the plants that you've made us to be are healthy because we're filled with you. We partake in the divine nature. Thank you, Lord, for choosing us and adopting us and putting that cry in our hearts of Abba, Father, and bearing witness with our spirits that we are your children. Thank you for your great, uh, your precious promises, Lord, that uh, enable us to say that, that we are resting in the safety of your wings. Amen.